Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Eric Smith of Sportsnet. He is the radio play-by-play voice for the Raptors and has the podcast Smith & Jones with some really cool guests, so I, I hope everyone can check that out. Um, not to age you at all, Eric, but uh, it was really cool um, to have you on just because uh, as long as I've been watching uh, the Raptors, I've seen your face and either on the sidelines or after games. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, I first wanted to ask you a little bit about your career. When did you first think you might want to pursue a career in sports journalism and broadcasting? Um, it was at a fairly young age. I think probably when I you know, had that realization or that, that epiphany that wasn't too difficult to have that I was never going to be a professional athlete, like a lot of young kids that grow up you know, watching sports and playing sports and enjoying sports. You know, you maybe have that visions of one day being a pro. And I, you know, when, once I kind of had that that moment where like, all right, yeah, this is probably not something that I'm going to be able to, to pursue as a career, uh, whatever the sport may have been. I was a big baseball fan, big basketball fan, obviously. Um, I just started kind of thinking about what I might want to do and knowing that I had a little bit of a gift of the gab, sometimes to a fault based on what the teachers would write in my report cards and that I talk too much and need to know when to not speak and not socialize as much and everything else. And I always enjoyed creative writing and writing stories and things like that. So it just sort of tied together. And, and I'll, I'll give you the line, Alex, that it's, it's almost become cliche for me to say it, but it's, it's not cliche. It's just, it's, it's become my common phrase or my common, um, I don't know, the, the most common description I can give to people is I was lucky. And I know that there aren't a lot of people in my position. I was lucky that what I thought I wanted to do turned out to be what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then I got to do what I wanted to do. So it's, it's hard enough to find one of those things, let alone two, let alone hit the trifecta. And what I say by that is at a fairly young age, again, when I say young, it was probably grade 10 ish. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, was that like 15, 16, where I thought, you know, maybe I could do something in journalism. Maybe it could be, and it wasn't necessarily sports, whether it was news, sports, weather, uh, entertainment, whatever it may be, work in television or something, be a reporter, be an anchor, do something in TV. And that's why I say what I thought I wanted to do. Okay, I'm thinking this. And it actually started to guide what I did in high school. I dropped math and science as quickly as I possibly could because I wasn't great at it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to need math and science if I end up wanting to be a journalist or whatever. What do I need? I should probably have some history and some geography. And obviously, I should have English and creative writing and media studies and things like that. So those are the courses that I started taking the last few years in high school, which then sets up to thought I wanted to do something, went and did it in terms of the schooling and the training, went to journalism school, ended up at Humber College, turned down a bunch of, I shouldn't say a bunch, turned down a couple of universities and a few other colleges and chose Humber specifically and went the college path instead of university, which I think, unfortunately, I could go on a tangent on this. I think, unfortunately, still to this day, there is a stigma university versus college, which I think is completely bogus, mm -hmm. but I chose the college route was, you know, taught and skilled and trained in that. And then was lucky enough to get an internship at the fan 590. That internship, you know, was, I was fortunate enough and I'm hopefully there was a little bit of skill involved too, but mm -hmm. no doubt fortune, right place, right time where the internship became a part-time job, became a full-time job. And here we are almost 26 years later, which is, you know, a very Coles notes version of it. But again, I repeat for like the second, third time, what I thought I wanted to do, I thought about it in high school, went and did it in college. So what I thought I wanted to do, I went and did. 
and then got to actually do what I wanted to do. And here we are all these years later. So it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's very lucky. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. It's, um, kind of everything thrown into a pot. And, and like I say, here we are. So that's, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I guess I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to the beginning. Mm-hmm. What was it like, like when you got that first job in the industry at the fi- Fan 590, did you feel like a uh, kind of like you didn't know what you were doing and working on the fly or was it very natural for you? What what was that like? Um, probably a combination of both. I didn't start off on the air right away, uh, as most people in the industry, radio or TV, don't. Um, but I, I was fortunate as well. And again, I keep using that word fortune because I, I will always ag- acknowledge the fortune and the luck. And, and again, I don't say it arrogantly. Obviously, in any walk of life, I would assume that if you don't put in the hard work and if you don't show a certain skill set, you're not going to last very long. I don't care if you're the, the boss's son or daughter or if, if your mom or dad is the, is the CEO. If you can't cut it and you can't do the work, eventually you're going to be found out. So I hope along the way that it was also a recognition of hard work and some skill and some promise and some, you know, some future and seeing something in me that the boss just saw. And hence the reason, like I say, I'm still here. But I also acknowledge that I came out of school at a time when there was a lot going on in the sports world in Toronto, but also in the media industry. And I can take you in two different directions. The sports world specifically, the Raptors were one year into their franchise when I came out of school. So the opportunity who knew that I was going to actually have a career in the NBA and with the Raptors in basketball, but the opportunity to suddenly have more chances to do more things in radio and television was created because there's suddenly a new team. Somebody else, they're going to need reporters and hosts and anchors and play-by-play broadcasters and editors and camera people. They're going to need all that. So suddenly opportunity was created within the industry because of that team existing but it was also a team existing in a sport that albeit yes, was created by Canadian. There's lots of basketball fans in Canada now. And there were in 95, 96 and the early to mid to late nineties, but not as many as there are today. So chance to do things. I mean, at the time I can tell you, Alex, and I've said this many times in the past before, uh, I'm not going to name names, but trust me, there were plenty in the industry in radio and television, let alone just, you know, walking average Joe's walking the streets, men, women, children, whatever it may be that we're saying this team's not going to last, this sport's not going to last, nobody cares about this, this is a hockey town, this is maybe a baseball town, but either way, this is a winter sports town as well. Uh, basketball is a, you know, this Raptor team, it's a flash in the pan, it's not going to stick, it's not going to last, da 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 So when you also combine that then with, well, maybe there's even more opportunity to go like, hey, I'll go cover that team, I'll go do this, I love this sport, I grew up on the sport, yeah, I like hockey, but I love basketball, yada, 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 yada. So again, right place, right time, right moment in time where I just happen to be graduating when all of a sudden this team is in the league and these opportunities are created. But then from an even more specific industry standpoint to some of your um, older viewers and, and listeners, they'll remember that the current station that exists right now, Sportsnet 360, before it was Sportsnet 360, it was the score. Mm-hmm. And before it was the score, it was headline sports. So way back 25 years ago, well, 25 plus when headline sports starts up pretty much right around the same time that the Raptors are coming into the league, put the Raptors and put basketball aside for a second, just the industry itself, a brand new national television station starts up in Canada to compete against Sportsnet and TSN. Well, what do they need to do? And what does any station need to do if they're starting up any business? They need employees. Where are you going to find employees? 
at the other sports radio stations and sports television stations and news stations and whatever else. And not just anchors and not just reporters, but salespeople and engineers and editors. Da, 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 da. So what happens? At the fan, certain people get lured away from the radio station and end up becoming employees at Headline Sports, eventually the score. So now I'm this intern that's been in the, the, the building for three, four months. And I get hired part-time because other guys and other men and women are leaving and creating opportunity. Suddenly, boom, I'm part-time. And then headline sports starts up and even more people leave and boom, like just shy of a year after starting as an intern, I went from intern to part-time to full-time in just under a year. So now I'm not even a full year out of school and I've already got a full-time job. Now I was working behind the scenes. I was a producer. I was making terrible money. Not like I'm rich right now, but I mean, I was making real bad money. Again, this was also the you know, mid to late 90s. So it's not like, uh, you know, it's, we're talking sadly almost 30 years ago. Um, and it's just that opportunity. So had I graduated a year or two earlier or even a year or two later, am I in that sort of perfect storm, that little window mm -hmm. with headline sports starting with the Raptors coming in with opportunities kind of creating themselves simply because of vacancies from other people leaving or not being as interested in the sport or whatever. And again, it's not like I just walked in and a year later, boom, I'm on the air and that's it. No, I produced for like three, four years and was finally starting to get a little bit of a taste of on air and then started hosting night times. And then the other perfect storm of all this was three years into the Raptors existence, which was now two, two and a little bit more years into my quote unquote career at that point, the Fan 590 acquired the Raptors play-by-play -play rights. So the first three years of the Raptors' existence, they were on CFRB 1010. Going into year four, the fan acquired the rights, and that's when they hired Chuck Swirsky and Jack Armstrong. And the rest is history from there in terms of the fan has had the rights since. And, you know, over the years, they, uh, because of the ownership with MLSE and Bell and Rogers owning the team together, we now split the broadcast with TSN Radio and on the TV side with TSN TV as well with Sportsnet. But either way, since year four, the fan has been the home for the Raptors broadcast. And when Chuck and Jack were hired, um, Elliot Friedman was one of the original Raptor reporters and covering the Raptors for the fan. He was one of the guys that left for headline sports. George Strombolopoulos wow. was Elliot's backup uh, or, or co kind of reporter and was also covering practices and games and whatnot. He ultimately left for a job with CFNY and then ultimately left the edge, CFNY 102.1, to go on to much music. But those two guys leaving created a vacancy for opportunity with the Raptors. And I'm this guy that's like, hey, again, I love basketball, grew up on basketball, love the sport, played the sport, enjoy the sport, I, blah, 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 blah. But the bosses were like, hold on a second, man. Like, you're young, you're inexperienced, you're not ready for this yet. And when they acquired the rights, what they ultimately decided to do was in hiring Chuck and Jack, they hired another veteran reporter um, sportscaster that they had at the station at that time and Barry Davis, who would go on to work at Sportsnet, whatever. So, and I don't mean this disparagingly towards Barry. I think if he was on your show, he'd acknowledge the same thing. Barry yeah, kind of knew basketball, but it wasn't to the extent that maybe I did, but mm -hmm. he also had way more experience in the industry as a sportscaster, as a broadcaster, as a reporter, et cetera. So the boss has kind of said, Barry, you're the lead guy. Now you're the main guy for the Raptors. Chuck and Jack are calling the games. You're going to do the pre-app and post game show. You're going to cover the team every day, but you know what, Eric, 
We'll let you go down to some practices. We'll let you go down to the home games. You can cover the visitors locker room. You can help Barry out at press conferences and, and uh, on weekends, if you want to pick up extra shifts and things like that. And then also on our broadcast, if time permits, and you've gotten everything you need from the locker room, if you can jump on the air for the last two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it may be, here's your chance to maybe cut your teeth and sort of learn the ropes. And after doing that together for one year, uh, this is now going into year five for the Raptors, year two of the broadcast being on the fan. Barry actually took an opportunity to, to go elsewhere within the industry. And that opened the door for the bosses to look at me and go, hmm. all right, sink or swim time. Um, we're going to elevate you to the host of pre and post. And you'll be working with Chuck and Jack. You're not going to travel. You'll do the road games from the studios doing pre and post, but you'll be down courtside at every game. You're going to host the, you know, all the post game stuff and whatever else. And I was three and a half years out of school, 25 years old and, and just boom, thrust into the, you know, into the spotlight and into the fire. And, um, ended up doing that for seven years along the way they brought in Paul Jones and Jonesy and I ended up doing pre and post together. And when Chuck and Jack moved to television, Jonesy and I moved into radio and this is now, I honestly don't even remember it. I think it's our 18th season, 19, 18, 18th season together doing the games. So it's, that's, that's the long winded, but yet very short because I missed a, you know, a lot of, a lot of things along the way, but that's kind of, that's kind of how the, the career, especially from a radio standpoint, um, began and then as I referenced the whole Bell Rogers TSN Sportsnet Sportsnet Radio TSN Radio that whole thing with the ownership of MLSE when that came in seven eight years ago um, uh, as a full time employee of Rogers I can't now appear on any Bell stations so suddenly I went from doing eighty two games for well a decade as a play by play guy as a as a you know part of the play by play broadcast and seven years previous to that as pre app and post I'm doing all eighty two. Now, suddenly I can only do 41. Mm -hmm. So that's when the TV folks came to me on the Sportsnet side and said, hey, how many of those 41 nights that you're not doing radio are those Sportsnet TV nights? And that's when the opportunity arose to do sidelines and hosting and, and other things. And then that sort of just springboarded the television portion of the career that has evolved into more hosting and analysis and stuff and less of the sideline reporting and whatnot. Is there one, like, do you prefer one or the other, or is it just a different challenge? And it's, it's, it's definitely a different challenge for both. And, and I don't want to give you like, I don't want to sound cheesy about it, but it's the truth. I enjoy both. Uh, if I'm being totally honest at the end of the day, as much as it's like, I listen, I take nothing away from TV. I would, I would do television full time, hundred percent tomorrow. If I had to, needed to, wanted to, whatever. And I don't mean to sound bad to any of my radio bosses that might see this, but just so they know I'm still loving radio. I love radio. Like I, I would say the same thing. If TV never happened again and I could work in radio for the next 20 years, 25 years, um, I would. Cause I love, I mean, listen, I started in radio. I wanted to start in television. That's when in college, that's what I wanted was TV. And the internship at the fan was um, sort of my second, not option, but my second choice. Cause I originally was looking for a television internship and ultimately couldn't find one. And then a, a teacher Judy Martin, Judy Charles, she's changed names over the years, but Judy was the one that came to me and said, listen, don't get so focused on the TV. Why don't you try radio? And I mean, thank goodness she put me in that direction because look what became of it. Um, and the thing I love most about radio is, and you know, obviously you're doing a version of it right now. We yeah. might be doing this on camera, but it's, it's, you know, this is just the evolution of technology. This didn't exist 25 years ago, just slapping your, your phone on a tripod and talking into a camera and, and, you know, creating a, um, you know, a podcast that might be audio only or video or both. 
Um, but anyways, I digress. Uh, I love the immediacy. I love working without a script. Like I oftentimes in television don't even have a script just because I'm used to not having a script in radio and just improv and ad lib and wow. being able to speak and just talk off the top of your head and, and just know what you got to say and what you want to say. And that's it. Um, and I just love, like I say, the immediacy of radio. If, if something happens, um, you know, unfortunately, if, if it's a catastrophe, which, you know, we don't want to focus on those, like, but the reality, whether it's bad news, good news, whether it's a, you know, a, a trade in sports or a, a, you know, a world event or a war breaking out, whatever, put that microphone on and go. And, mm -hmm. and that's it. And I, I just, I love that. And that's why I think, um, not to go off on even more of a tangent here, but that's why I think radio will never truly die in spite of some people thinking that its demise is here or was here or is mm -hmm. still coming or whatever. Listen, podcasts and, and, and blogs and vlogs and everything else have absolutely changed the industry and um, expanded the industry. But I still think there's, and satellite radio and everything else, but there's still absolutely a market for FM radio, AM radio, local radio, national radio, whatever it may be, because again, if nothing else, the immediacy of being able to just go. And yes, we can do that with our phones now through video and stuff and through audio components and through social platforms and social media and everything else. Um, but it's all an extension. I just think it's a, a way now of all of us, especially in this in the industry, trying to find new ways of doing it while combining the various platforms and the, the various uses of technology and whatnot to expand what we once did um, and evolve. But I don't think it's a, it's a point of um, going into extinction by any means. I think it's more about evolution than extinction. I, I guess just to go back on your radio, like how do you prepare? Like, I, like you, you mentioned that it's not off the cuff, but you, you like the immediacy <clears throat> of kind of being in the moment but what is your preparation and process uh, like for radio? Um, you have to obviously be well read and, and do your research. Um, but obviously the preparation is a lot different for a two, three, four hour radio show versus what it is for a live play by play broadcast versus the preparation that you might have to do for a you know, 90 second or three minute television report. It's all different. Um, like if I'm doing a radio show, unless it's a radio show strictly on basketball, well, I might be talking to a baseball guest, a hockey guest, a basketball guest, a tennis guest. Uh, I might be opening up the phone lines to whatever you want to talk about and got to be prepared then to uh, maybe not answer every question, but at least have an opinion on and thus ha then have a general knowledge of a whole lot of things. So you have to be well read. Uh, and I would say not just on sports, because um, mm -hmm. I think pop culture, current affairs, certainly. Um, but pop culture is something that um, I think you need to be well aware of and know what's going on in the world in entertainment, in news, in sports, even in the weather, um, you know, that's that because that's going to potentially influence uh, a conversation or your perspective mm -hmm. on something. So you have to be well read on a lot of stuff. But just like I don't know what questions you're going to ask me, you can read and you can research and you can be prepared. But at the end of the day, you have yeah. no idea what the guest is going to say in the question you ask. You have no idea what the caller is going to ask you when you open up those phone lines. You have no idea what news might break while you're on the air. So you can't really rely on that script. And again, a live radio show is different than a sports highlight show on television where you are throwing to clips and highlights of stuff that has already happened. Mm -hmm. Now, 
news breaks during a television show, you better be well read because now you're probably not throwing the highlights. You're going to the breaking news and you better be up on the latest and you better not mispronounce names and you better at least have a base mm -hmm. knowledge of all that stuff. Again, different than a live play-by-play -play broadcast where you're going in and clearly you have to know the rosters and you have to know the numbers and you have to know the players and you, you should hopefully have at least one, if not five, little storylines for each guy or little tidbits and stats and, and things that you can bring up. But chances are you might use 3% of the preparation you did and the work you did because at the end of the day, your job is to call what's in front of you and not just go, oh, I really wanted to get this point in and, mm -hmm. and I did so much work to get to this. Yeah. No, the job is to call the game. And that's the great thing about sports is every game is different. You know, every game is different. And, and like I steal the line from Jonesy all the time. We've been working together for so long that we we often steal each other's lines. But it's it's the it's the original and the ultimate reality TV. Like I'm not a, the only reality TV I really watch is Survivor. I'm still in those guys over, <laughs> after all these years. I think because of my kid, he, he started getting into it as well. So it's become sort of a, a family thing to record it and watch it back. But I don't watch anything else because nothing else to me compares to sports. And that is reality. Like forget about Bachelor and whatever else and all that stuff. It's like this is reality every single day, not knowing the in, outcome going in. And knowing that every single night it's going to be different and there's going to be a different storyline and 10, 15, 100 different storylines and moments. It's that's that's what's awesome about the job and about working in sports and everything else is just knowing that it's always fresh, always different. And uh, and and you kind of approach it with with that mindset of like, hey, what am I going to see tonight? What am I going to watch tonight? And just to go off what you have seen, what are some of your most mo memorable moments covering the Raptors? Um, I know you've co covered Kobe's 81 and the Kawhi shot and championship, like when they won the finals, Yeah, uh, that game six, maybe just speak to kind of what memories stick out for you. I mean, you just, you just hit on probably the three biggest ones. I mean, the Kawhi shot, that's the picture there. Um, Magic Johnson's my other one like that. I wasn't, I wasn't there, but he's, he's been my guy. That's, that's where the love for basketball started in the early, uh, in the early eighties for me, the Showtime Lakers. Um, listen, I love Jordan, but I was a, I was a magic Johnson guy in the Lakers, but anyways, I digress. Um, I was doing sidelines for the Kawhi game for, for that game. Uh, and I was about, I'm in that picture just behind the basket, kind of in the corner. Oh, wow. Um, maybe about 20, 25 feet at most from Kawhi. Uh, and in the picture, you actually see this and I'm looking at the jumbotron, not at the rim because the entire bench and all of the fans in that corner are standing and I couldn't see the court from where I was standing oh. because everybody's standing in front of me. So I had to watch it on the screen, wow. but then my job doing sidelines for that broadcast was, you know, as soon as that shot went down, I pretty much had to crowd surf my way, you know, those 25 feet to get onto the court and fight my way through the crowd. And I mean, I've told the story a bunch of times and it, you know, if people follow me on Instagram, maybe they'll remember from three years ago, but the kind of cool thing in that moment was um, the, uh, the TNT broadcast, the U.S. broadcast stateside always gets top dog, top billing, top whatever, top choice, which is understandable. Yeah. So when it comes to post-game guests, they get first choice. And of course, they're going to take and ask for Kawhi Leonard. So I was waiting uh, to do my interview and I got Kyle Lowry. So La Lowry comes over and as Kyle's standing there, I just happened to look over before Matt Devlin threw to me, you know, let's go over to Eric with Kyle Lowry. And, you know, it's madness around us, whatever. And I looked over and there's Kawhi standing just like maybe two, three feet from us now getting set to do his interview with TNT. And on his left arm, sort of on the, I guess his tricep, sort of side of his arm, bicep, tricep, whatever. He had like a, 
uh, a little pool of blood, like a little drip of blood coming down his arm. It's not like he was gushing by any means, but it was definitely fresh blood and it was running down his arm. And I guess whether it was Embiid, I still to this day don't know. I've never asked Kawhi whether it was the follow through from Embiid and did he catch him with his fingernail or whether it's just the pile of his teammates in like the huge celebration, he got cut. And so I sort of referenced that right at the beginning of the interview with Kyle, where I just said, Kyle, this moment, game seven, the blood, sweat, and tears that it takes. And I just sort of pointed to Kawhi's arm and Kyle reached over with his towel and wiped the blood off Kawhi's arm. And then the kind of interview went from there. Um, so that definitely stands out. And that would be for most people, the number one moment, but when you top it, you know, with the championship, um, and I had the call for game six of the championship back on the radio. So again, that was when I was still doing both roles. I don't do the sideline stuff anymore, but when I was doing both and kind of flipping hats, you know, from game to game. So game seven for that round being on the TV, but then game six, having a chance to actually have the final call and to call that championship moment. And then Jonesy actually ran down to the floor to sort of be the guy on the scene with the remote microphone. And I had to just sort of anchor our radio broadcast and throw down to Jonesy. So it was cool for him that even though he, you know, at the end of the day, we're a team period, whether, you know, I've always looked at it and I know he does as well. And, and again, maybe it sounds cliche, but it's the truth that we both believe we're a team like, you know, I'm not going to be as good without him. He's not going to be as good without me. We've worked together for 18 years. We're like an old married couple finishing each other's sentences. And I already referenced earlier, stealing each other's lines and cliches and, and whatever else over the years. Um, but it was a cool moment to know that, all right, I had the final call. We had the final broadcast. But then here's a guy that's been working with the team from day one. And he's the one that's down on the floor in the confetti and in the celebration and doing the interviews with the players. So it was great that we each got to have respective sort of pool, sorry, cool personal moments, as well as the team moment that we had as a broadcast team. And then when our radio broadcast ended, kind of threw off the radio hat, put the TV hat back on. And I was in the locker room and, you know, walking my way through, you know, three, four inches of champagne on the, on the uh, floor in the locker room and getting sprayed with champagne and, and clinking bottles. Like, I mean, again, there's a picture on my Instagram feed from three years ago of like, you can't imagine the amount of bottles that are just like bottles upon bottles upon bottles. And then that ends and I'm getting text messages from the guys um, working on the broadcast, the producer and the director and, and statistician and Matt and Jack and other guys and Leo that are saying, where are you? Uh, we're in the uh, Oakland A's locker room because at back at the old Oracle arena in San Fran, um, the arena was connected through the oh. sort of vowels of the under, you know, the underbelly of the arena. It was connected to the baseball stadium. Um, so the NBA, and actually I, now that I say that it wasn't the Oakland A's, it was the Oakland Raiders who were still okay. in Oakland at that time. It was, the, it was the Raiders locker room that they had set up for like a photo studio essentially. And they had the backdrop and that's where the players, obviously the coaches, the front office, the staff, but then, family and friends and everybody and anybody that wanted to get their picture with the trophy. And then the, the, the organization, the team was, was um, gracious enough to extend it to the team broadcasters as well. Wow. So there I was like two hours after the championship and I'm holding the trophy and, and getting my picture wow. taken with the trophy as well. So that was awesome. And then the other one you mentioned was Kobe and that, so that Kobe 81 point game, um, especially as a guy, again, that grew up on the Lakers and a Laker fan to be sitting courtside about 10, 12 feet from the Lakers bench. And when Kobe Bryant checks into the game, 
And, you know, you see when, of course, LeBron made it famous, but the, the sort of, uh, you know, talcum powder, the, the rosin that the guys yeah. put on their hand, it's, it's more famous in baseball with that pad that the pitchers use. But in, in basketball, it's, it's just like talcum almost, but it's just in a tube and they put it in their hands, they rub it together. And of course, LeBron used to do that thing. So anyways, the reason I reference that is Kobe, when he was checking into the game, that, that talcum or that rosin, I should say, keep saying talcum, that rosin was, it's, was literally right in front of Jonesy and I. So every time Kobe checked in, he'd be shaking that and then clapping his hands together and it was sprinkling all over my computer. So at one point, Paul referenced in the broadcast, like how I'm like a little kid getting sprinkled with, you know, pixie dust every time, you know, because I look just so giddy sitting courtside watching Kobe go for his, you know, 50, 60, 70, and then ultimately 81. And that was our first year together calling the game. So that was our first year on the road uh, as a broadcast team coming off pre-half and post and to be initiated with, you know, uh, I can't remember what game it was. Was it game 35 or 40 you know it was, yeah, it was a, in january you know, it was a right. january game so you know we were kind of right around that midway point of the season uh to see that live and in person and and other than the championship is that mo that moment's never been topped i mean that was unbelievable to be there in person courtside right beside the lakers bench just watching like it was unreal. is it is unreal. it true that you took the box score is that yeah, yeah and then did, did kobe sign it too was that yeah and what the, what was that like for you? So uh, that picture, just so I don't get called out for lying, that picture is autographed, that Magic Johnson picture. The Kawhi one isn't. Nothing else in here is. Um, so the only time that I personally, and, I'm, and I say this all the time, if anybody wants to call me out for being unprofessional, whatever, fine, I'll take it. <laughs> the only time in my 25-plus years that I've asked for an autograph from a player was Kobe and um, it was not quite a decade later but it was at the all-star game in Toronto and Kobe's Nike rep was Nico Harris Nico Harris is now the general manager of the Dallas Mavericks hmm. but at the time he was working for Nike and he was Kobe's guy at Nike Nico was friends with Paul's brother Mark Jones who works yep. at ABC ESPN <clears throat> excuse me and Paul, through Mark, got to know Nico as well. So anyways, rewind to the game in L.A., the 81-point game. At the end of the night, I took um, two copies of the box score and just kept it in a folder and figured, like, this is a piece of history. All it is is a photograph piece, uh, a photocopy, excuse me, not photograph, a photocopy piece of paper. Like, there was probably hundreds of copies. I'm assuming I'm not the only one that grabbed one, but... I don't know. I don't know how many people have a copy mm -hmm. of it, but I took two. I know Jonesy took at least one, if not two. And I just kept it in the folder and it just sat in my closet for, you know, like I say, almost a decade. Then when Kobe was coming to town for um, uh, the all-star game, Jonesy and I had seen Nico, like Nico Harris wouldn't know me. Like he'd probably recognize my face, but he doesn't know me, mm -hmm. but he's seen me over the years. And we would joke from time to time, myself or Jones, like, ah, Hey, we got to get Kobe to sign that box for sometime. And Nico would say like, Oh yeah, he'd probably do that for you. And nothing ever came of it. But then Kobe's coming to Toronto and it's supposed to be his last all-star game and he's going to be retiring and whatever. So Jonesy says to Nico, Hey man, we were joking, but we were serious. Like if we could ever get that thing autographed, like we want to do it. Nico's like, yeah, you know what? Let's just do it in Toronto. Like, just bring it to the arena, whatever, and, and, and we'll get it done. So Jonesy calls me and tells me, Nico says, 
I, I think it was on the Saturday night. Was it Saturday night? I just can't remember if that was the Saturday night or the, or the Sunday before the game. But he says, let's, you know, bring the stuff. We'll get Kobe. He calls him Kobe. We'll get Kobe to sign it. I'm like, okay. So I re- go into the closet, and I had two jerseys, like, a, a, and they're actually just off to the right here, a white number eight and a purple 24, wow. the Kobe Bryant jerseys. And they just sat in the closet as well. Just So I thought, what the hell? I'll bring the jerseys. I'll bring the box scores. And if he signs one or none or whatever, but all right, whatever. So I brought them. Jonesy shows up. He's the one that initiated and orchestrated and organized the whole thing. He forgot his box score. I don't know how, but he forgot. So there I am with my stuff and Nico and Kobe come in and we're in a little back room at, at, at well, then Air Canada Center. And Kobe comes in and, and uh, you know, Nico, like, you know, you know Paul and Eric and no, he doesn't really know us, but yeah, yeah, yeah a guy and whatever. And he's like, he's the one that, these are the guys that have been talking about having the boxer. And Jones is like, I can't believe I forgot mine. He's like, what do you mean you forgot yours? How'd you forget it? And so I say to Jones, I, was like, I have two, you can take one of mine. He's like, no, 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 I got my own. I'll get it done at some point. I'm like, I don't know when, but okay. So then Kobe takes the jerseys and quickly signs both jerseys. And then he takes the box score and he signs Kobe 24. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's awesome, but you weren't wearing 24 then. He's like, shit. <laughs> like, and so he signs the second one, Kobe 8. So I actually technically have two box scores autographed. And one's probably even more rare because it says Kobe 24, even though right on the box score it says Kobe number 8. So then I have the second one autographed that says Kobe number 8. So that is, again, take my credentials away, call me unprofessional, whatever it may be. But that is, in 25 years, the only time I've ever gotten an autograph. And um, I, I, I don't care. I feel absolutely no shame for that. To me, that's a piece of history. Mm-hmm. And uh, to have that, it's not anything I'm ever going to sell. That's like, I don't, I don't care what it's worth. That's just a piece of nostalgia and a piece of history for me to have and for me to pass on to my kid and whatever else. So that's a, that's a cool thing to have. So that, those, those, are the, those are the three top moments from a sports perspective. Um, unfortunately, and I kind of referenced this earlier, when breaking news happens yeah. and things happen, um, the, the one that definitely stands out is, and it, 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 it was a day, but then it became a couple of weeks but I was on the air on September 11th, uh, the attack on the Twin Towers. Now, I wasn't on the air when the first, unfortunately, let alone second plane hit. I was on the air that night hosting the evening show from 7 to 11 with then my co-host was Bill Hayes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was doing um, the show the night before. So I I'd, I'd, I'd slept in and I got a call from my mom saying, are you watching the news? Are you seeing this? And I turned on the TV, like, honestly, like, 10 seconds before the the second plane went in and then um, sat there like everybody else watching whatever CNN, whatever news channel all day, knowing that, okay, I got to go on and talk about this and speak. This goes back to what I said, what, 10, 15 minutes ago to have a a base knowledge. Like here I am a sports guy. I don't know anything about like what's happening. Why is this happening? Does this have anything to do with, you know, like who's Osama bin Laden, Al Qaeda, like what, like what, and, what is or isn't fact or fiction and what do we know? And so you're trying to, you know, retain as much information and research as much information and get as much as you can, knowing that there's really not, because at the time, did we really know what's happened? Do we really know who's responsible? And, and then just trying to come at it from a human perspective as well. And the amount of lives that would have been lost and affected and 
you know, I'm, I know I'm quite a bit older than you and, and, you know, to some of your folks in your audience, um, one of the first things that popped into my mind, and again, do the math on my age now going back to then, I'm thinking like, are we on the verge of World War III? Yeah, yeah. Our, our closest ally and our, our neighbor that we share a border with was just attacked. Is there a war yeah. going to break out? If there's a war. Is there going to be a draft? There's a draft. Am I getting drafted? Am I going to be fighting? Like, like all this stuff is, you know, <laughs> spinning through my mind as you're preparing to go, oh, I also have to host a four-hour radio show and sound like I kind of know what I'm talking about. And and then maybe try and tie some of it into a sports angle, even though do we really care about sports right now? Because what the hell's happening in the world? And blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So that was a wild night. We actually ended up having a survivor on the air with us that night that got out of the second tower before oh it was hit, had him on our broadcast the night on our show. Um, and then for the, like I say, the, at least the next week, if not the next two, three weeks, uh, I give the fan a, an abundance of credit, let alone you know everybody that was working at the time. Um, but the fan to me and i'm you know certainly biased to some extent but i thought we did a hell of a job as a station overall just sort of morphing into more of a news slash human interest station and not really a sports station because at that time man sports didn't matter and then it sort of started to turn when ultimately the mets and the yankees decided that hey the world series will go on and this can be a unifying sports can be that glue to bring people back together and and, and, and kind of give people hope and blah, 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 blah. And that afforded us and obviously others in the sports industry to start kind of shifting back to, all right, let's talk about sports, but let's find different angles, you know, different layers of the onion to peel back, not just talk about stats and numbers, but stories and, and connections and, mm-hmm. and find different ways to attack it. So those, those are the, the, the top moments. But again, that's the, like, I was, I was actually producing the night that Princess Diana Oh, wow. uh, died as well. Dan Dunleavy, who's now the voice of the Buffalo Sabres, Dan was hosting that night and I was producing and I ended up kind of quasi co-hosting with him that night. And there's another case. It's like, a, I'm almost positive. Sunday night, 22, 23 year old kid doesn't know a damn thing about the Royal family. And, and suddenly now it's like, Hey, this is a massive story in the world. And this is bigger than any uh, sporting event that's going on on a Sunday night. And so there was Dan thrust into start talking about the Royal family and about princess Diana and try and find some guests to talk about this. And so it's like, you just gotta be yeah. ready to go and, 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 and be able to ad lib whether you're behind the scenes or, or on the air yourself. I, I guess it might not be the best time to transition, but uh, I don't want to keep you uh, on too long. And this was great to just know your insight of kind of your, your whole story, but I also want to, let the listeners go to the Raptors a bit. So I'm just going to make that as uh, best as I can, that transition. I just wanted to ask you, Eric, a little bit about the team so far. They haven't had, they like, they haven't, they're under 500 right now. Um, For you, Eric, is the, is the team's record reflective of who they are as a team? Are they much better than what their records suggest? And and just what are your general thoughts on the team's start to the season? You know, I, I think they are better than their record indicates. But at the same time, you know, how many times have I referenced cliche? I guess you can't work in sports without having cliches. So I think I've said it about 15 times. You are what your record is, you know? So even if you say you're better, you are what your record is. Um, I think it's more a case of looking at the factors or the reason as to why the record is what it is. And I'm sure there's going to be some people that are watching this rolling their eyes or groaning or saying, oh, he's making excuses. I often try to look at it, though, like, uh, excuses more often than not, if you really are honest with yourself, are facts. 
And the fact is, this team has been ravaged by injuries. And listen, they're not alone. There are other teams in the league that have dealt with injuries. So I'm not saying this is just, you know, unique to the Raptors. They have dealt with a ton of injuries, which has thus made them deal with a ton of different starting lineups and a ton of different rotations. And even currently, like, I'm not making any excuses for the two games against Orlando. Those were two bad losses and two unexpected losses, at least as far as I was concerned. Um, to me, worst case scenario, you're getting the split in Orlando. Worst case scenario, you're not, you're certainly not going down and losing both. But when you don't have Precious Achua and haven't for three plus weeks now, when you don't have um, the, to me, a guy that was a pretty substantial, pretty, maybe not marquee, but a significant offseason signing in Otto Porter, who's coming off a championship, championship experience, a defender, a shooter, a three point shooter, um, a guy that can play multiple positions, and he's played what? I don't even know, three, four games for the Raptors this year at best. You still don't have him. You don't have a Chua. Now you're still without Wancho. Wancho didn't play a ton to start the year, but then there was about an eight to ten game stretch where he was playing significant minutes and playing a significant role. He's out. Then just as you're thinking, okay, it's just those three. We're okay with the rest. Now you lose OG for a game. And it's like, okay, but we already went for 10-plus without Pascal, and we've missed Fred for a handful, and Gary Trent was out for a little bit, and Scotty Barnes missed a couple, and Chris Boucher was gone. It's like, holy cow. You can't find any kind of consistency again, to your starters, to your rotation, to you individually, your minutes, your body, how you're feeling. I think that's a massive factor right now. Then take that and say, okay, at the end of the day, though, Eric, you just told us you are what your record is and forget injuries. You still got to go out there and play. All right. Agreed. But you're not playing to the way, to me, that you should play based on the way this team was built on their rep and their rep was as a hard-nosed defensive-minded team that's going to get into you and the offense will find its way but they're going to really beat you with their defense and I think that to me is where Toronto is is kind of um, faltering or slipping more than anything this year is on the defensive end and again injuries play a factor in that because they've been missing some of their key defenders but I think Fred hasn't looked as strong defensively Trent hasn't looked as strong defensively. Barnes hasn't looked as strong defensively. OG's obviously been out of his mind. He's been awesome. Um, but the second unit, I don't think there's been a major lift on either end of the floor outside of maybe Boucher. There hasn't been a ton from, from the second unit. It's changed a little bit now that Gary's coming off the bench. Um, so, again, I'm not saying any of those guys have been terrible. I just don't think they've been as strong. And I think there's room for growth, room for improvement, and room to get back to where they were. Like, Fred's a guy that was talking about wanting to be all defensive. And he certainly was that guy in the past. He hasn't been that guy yet. Now, again, not that he's been terrible, but he hasn't been that elite potential all-NBA defender that we've seen in the past. If he can raise that level, if Scotty can raise that level, if you know, the rest collectively can raise that level, I think it's going to change. I'll say this, though, as well. And this is, again, where I, some people might roll the eyes or whatever, but I, I think it's a fact. I don't have the standings in front of me. I haven't even looked at them this morning. But correct me if I'm wrong, I believe – so the Raptors sitting at 13 and 14. Last night, the Mavs went into their game at 500, 13 and 13. They won last night. So the Mavericks have one more win than the Raptors. But yet, Luka Doncic is unbelievable, and he's an MVP candidate and everything else. Okay, yeah, they lost Brunson in the offseason. But are the Mavs not a pretty good team? No, I, I don't know. Are people freaking out in Dallas or are people in Toronto who are NBA fans – flipping out over the fact that the MVP, potential MVP, candidate, MVP, top five at least, led Luka Doncic Mavericks are 14 and 13, 
They're only a game better than the sky is falling, god-awful, I can't believe they're so terrible, Toronto Raptors. Or the Brooklyn Nets, who started the season terribly and had been playing much better for the last few weeks, if not months, are what? Two wins, I think? Maybe three, two wins ahead of the Raptors right now? And Jonesy would be the guy that would point out right now, don't even look at the win total, look at the loss column. And I would challenge anybody watching right now, assuming you're watching on Tuesday, Wednesday-ish, mm-hmm. if you're watching this a week from now, maybe it's different, but look at the loss column and see how close the Raptors are in the loss column to all but everybody, not names Milwaukee and Boston, maybe Cleveland. Almost everybody, including the teams below them. Yes, I acknowledge that as well. They're just as close from dipping further as they are from, from rising higher. But I think they're, if I'm not, I don't know if you're looking at uh, yeah, you're looking looking down. There, there. I think there's got to be at least six, if not seven teams. And I could be wrong, Alex. But I think there's at least six, if not seven teams that have 11, 12, or 13 losses. Yeah. And yeah, yeah about, right in that range, right? About eight. And, okay, eight. And Toronto's got 14. So you're, you're like in the loss column. You're a half a game, maybe a game, maybe two at most, away from seven, eight teams. So I feel like to some extent, people need to just kind of relax and realize that, yes, we thought they'd be better. Yes, they rose the expectations based on last year. But we also know that a lot of teams got better as well. So you might not be taking the meteoric rise this year that you had hoped for because other teams got better too. And we always say, here I'm going to use the word again, cliche or otherwise, health is the number one determining factor in any sport. I don't care if we're talking football, hockey, baseball, basketball, or otherwise. If you get derailed by health for a little bit or for a long time, it's going to have a massive impact on your team. And I think the Raptors have been riding this unhealthy wave. They're now sitting at the one-third point of the season right 27 games in 54 81 so yeah we're officially pretty much right at you know the the one third mark let's see what happens in the next third and then that brings us to probably february ish raptors did not get well i shouldn't say didn't get they didn't stay over 500 until after the midway point of the season last year they were if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was 23 and 23, 46 games in yeah. when they went um, 25 and 11 to finish the season at 48 and 34. Yeah. So there's certainly time still. You're still 19 games away from 46. Now, that's not to say they're going to go 25 and 11. That's not to say they might not go, I hope not, 4 and 15 over the next 19 games. I'm just saying I think there's time, and I don't think it's as bad as some are making it out to be. And if nothing else, even if you do think it's as bad, and even if you do think the team is terrible, well, if they're this bad and they're this terrible, they have yet to truly shoot themselves in the foot because, as we just referenced three minutes ago, they're still right in the thick of it with seven, eight teams right in the mix right there. So if they can click, they're right back to maybe going on a little bit of a run as long as they stay close ish with the teams. And I think they probably will because man, you looked at the East, look at the West. There's as much parity in the West as well. And then, as I say, when you start comparing yourself to teams around the league, like, okay, Utah started the season hot. Now they're right around the same record as the Raptors, a couple of games above 500, I think, you know, (laughs) 
there aren't many teams. There's what four or five at most that are really considering themselves elite at this moment. I don't know. Are the Pelicans going to be the number one team in the Western Conference still 27 games from now? Maybe. Are they going to take a dip? So look at look at even the two teams that were in the championship last year, right? Look at their records. All right, one in Boston's pretty damn good. Golden State, what's their record compared to the Raptors? They've struggled as well. What and, about the team they faced in the Western Conference Finals? Or, or, or what about Phoenix, a team that's been rising as well? What's their record? So I think a lot of teams are kind of having their early season issues, and Toronto's just one of many of those teams. The key, though, is I'm basing all this on they will turn it around. If yeah. they don't, then we're having a different story if you and I talk again in another 27 games or whatever. I guess I, I just wanted to transition a bit to Scotty Barnes because, I mean, I think the expectations for him were maybe a bit too sky high and he's had a bit of a sluggish year so far, maybe a bit worse than his rookie. What what, what do you think has kind of led to that? Is that just, I know he's feels like he always uh, sprains his ankle every game. Um, is that like, is, is he injured? Is he battling through stuff? What, what do you think's kind of happened with his game so far this year? It's, it's funny with him, right? Cause if, if you, this is, this is the classic, um, <laughs> what am I going to say to now for the 21st time? When I say cliche, this classic sports cliche of the eye test. If you look at the numbers, the numbers are as good, if not better, than they were last year. The scoring is down a little bit. The assists are up pretty good, like about, about I think about an assist and a half more. And the rebounds are pretty much all but identical. So at quick glance at the numbers, you'd say, what's the problem? I think it's because, yes, you you weren't necessarily expecting status quo. You were expecting a rise, and we've only really seen the rise in the assist totals. Um, but I think the eye test tells me, and I, I again, I'll be honest, I have not spoken to Scotty. Granted, the team's also been on the road for the last four or five days, and I, I'm not at practice today. I'm talking to you. Um, I haven't had a chance to ask him, but I, based on what my, my friend, my colleague, Michael Grange, wrote a couple of days ago, Scotty did speak down in Orlando. And he says he's happy and he's still enjoying the game and the, the games and he still has joy in his heart and he still thinks he's the same person and, 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 and everything's good. What I would have said was it doesn't look like he's having as much fun on the court. He doesn't seem to have that same sort of infectious, outgoing, uh, bubbly personality, constant smile that he did so often last year. Now, he's saying otherwise. Well, I can't say the guy's lying. i got to take a man for what he says and and trust what he's telling us. Um, so I guess the best answer I give you is I don't know because my my answer had Scotty not said the complete opposite is he seems like something's affecting him. Like, it just seems like whether he's hurt, whether he's going through something in his personal life, whether he's more upset at the officials, whether he's frustrated by the inconsistencies of the team, which he plays a part of, he just seems like he's not quite himself on the court and not playing with that same joy that we seem to uh, see <clears throat> almost every game last year. That would have been my answer to you in my analysis. That's what I see. That's what my eyes are telling me. But like I say, he said the complete opposite, and he feels like he's the same guy. Um, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in both of our statements to some extent because I, I, I think that you know you see it. Everybody watching probably sees that he's just – not it doesn't seem to be that same guy yeah um but i would also say playing into all that and it's an obvious statement but 
he's not catching people by surprise anymore. And I think towards the end of last season, he wasn't either. Uh, but like you're the reigning rookie of the year. You're on the radar now. You're on the scouting report more than ever. You're going to be seeing different, you know, different looks. You're going to be seeing more physicality. Uh, you're not going to be able to just sort of catch people by surprise, perhaps. And uh, you got to fight through that, 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 you know, sophomore season and, and, you know, kind of find that, that next level um, battling the physical and the mental that comes with this game um, from fans, from yourself, from the team, from your opponent, from the refs, from everybody. And I think that's just growth and maturity. So I think he's the type of guy that will get through it. Um, I have confidence in that. And I would say again, to reference where we started at the end of the day, he's still having a pretty decent season. It's yeah. just, you know what? We had hoped, and we still think, at least I do, that you got a superstar in the making. So, yeah, you want to see a little bit more. And you want to see a little bit more from everybody right now. So, hopefully, they can collectively <clears throat> find that. I, I guess I wanted to to move to Siakam, and 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 he's probably had his career, a career year, like with assists, rebounds, points, everything, essentially at career highs. What do you think is, like, what has he done to be so effective to start the year and, and what has kind of changed or evolved in his game from previous years for you? Um, and this is not to apply, imply, excuse me, that Scotty or Brad <clears throat> or anybody else isn't doing the same thing because uh, they are, but he's putting in the work. That's the biggest thing. Like he was, uh, I mean, he always has been a gym rat, but this summer specifically um, putting in the work more than ever before, I believe. Uh, like even if you go back to last year, he couldn't do a ton of work in the off season because he was still recovering from the shoulder surgery. Yeah. So he could do what he could, but um, I think that impacted things. And then coming off of last season and the frustration of missing the first part of the year and the frustration of the the early exit and whatnot, and then looking back to the previous summer going, man, I couldn't do anything. I think it was like, hey, I love being back on the floor and I'm going to – and and then he said it. He set the bar, right? He said, I want to be a top five player in the game. So that was him setting the bar, setting the motivation for himself, and he's put in that work in order to be that type of guy in terms of the game specifically beyond just the work. Uh, I think we've seen him go back to being a little bit more of an attacker. I thought he got away from that last year, even though it was still, you know, an, uh, uh, an all NBA season. Yeah. Um, I think he got away from being an attacker where that to me is where he made his name, especially early on running out in transition, getting up behind defense, attacking the basket a little bit more. And I also think he's been that much better as a playmaker this year. He was never bad, but I think because he's attracting the defense now uh, more than ever before and seeing more double and triple teams than he's seen before, he's had to become a facilitator. And in doing so, he's been a good facilitator. So I think he's worked on that component of his game. The problem now, though, is I think the assist totals would be even better and it'd be even higher if the Raptors could knock down some damn shots. Like yeah, they've been the, yeah. the worst three-point shooting team in the league for a like month a now, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, um it's pretty crazy to think how the numbers would be even better than they are. And they're already damn good if guys were making shots on a more regular basis. And, and to me, they're not getting bad shots. They're getting good looks. So again, maybe I sound like a coach, like, Oh, I'm confident they'll go down. But if yeah. you played the game at any level, I don't care if you're just a weekend warrior, or if you played college or pro or overseas or whatever else, if you're getting good shots, getting good looks, they will eventually fall. Um, to me, I'd have more of a problem if you're seeing the Raptors constantly jacking, terrible, contested, off balance, whatever. I think they're getting good looks. I think that keep doing what you're doing and, and the tide's going to turn at some point. I, I guess I wanted to transition to OG, who also has been having a great year 
on both sides of the floor, like career highs. And and basically again, like Siakam, almost all the yep. statistical categories. Um, I guess just what have you thought of his game and his elevation, but also would you consider him as a defensive player of the year candidate as we speak right now? Uh, I think he is, but I think like a lot of stuff, I think the record will impact that. Like, I mean, it might sound stupid to say, you know, knowing that we still have two thirds of the year to go, but if the season ended today, he'd be in the conversation, but I think he probably wouldn't win because the Raptors are a game below 500 and, and they're not among the elites. And I think he'd probably be looking at one of the elite teams. And I think I'd say that about any um, award. Like I referenced Luca earlier. I'm not giving the MVP to a guy whose team is one game above 500. That's, that's just me or a guy that to me, he's been a little bit better as a defender, but traditionally historically kind of plays more on one end than the other. That to me, I, I want to see a defender that can kind of do both or at least a semblance of both. Um, but to go back to OG, um, yes, he'd be in the conversation. I anticipate him staying in the conversation if the Raptors record improves and he can maintain this tear that he's been on because he's been a terror to deal with. Um, his anticipation skills for jumping into the pass lane, um, for reading uh, offenses and knowing plays and knowing players' tendencies and whatnot, I think is is second to none on the Raptors and second to very few in the league overall. But I think that the, the defense has always been there for him. It's more the offense. And his shooting hasn't been great. Like, he's one of those guys, like – pretty much everybody on the team right now. Um, I think he's shooting only around 27, 28% from distance. Um, so clearly that needs to improve. But then it's like, well, heck, how is he having the success he is then in terms of his scoring and, and the major uptick? Well, almost like I said with Pascal, he's attacking a lot more, getting to the rim, getting to the line, using his handle. That's one thing I thought needed to improve, and it has. And I think there's still room yeah. for more improvement but being able to guy to take guys off the bounce. And I love the fact that he said one of the biggest things for him was just kind of saying it out loud and speaking it into the world. Like I want to be considered one of the best defenders. I want to be considered one of the best players. I think my game has not been recognized enough. So I think saying it is not just saying it to you and me and to everybody else. It's saying it to yourself as well. Like, Hey, time for me to puff my chest out a little bit and, and become that guy that I think slash know I am and now go show it and prove it. And I think he's done that. And I think part of that has helped that, you know, not that he wouldn't want his friends and his teammates back and healthy and whatever else, but being able to have that opportunity to step more into a spotlight with Pascal missing those, those uh, few weeks and with, with, you know, Trent going down for a couple and, and Scotty and Fred. And the, as we talked about earlier, just the sort of carousel of players that have come in and out. Cause if you recall, if we go back to last year uh, when Siakam, missed the nine, 10 games to start the year with the shoulder surgery. Um, who was the best player for the Raptors in Pascal's absence? OG. I think it was OG. Yeah. So he kind of tapered off as the season went on, as the rest of the team got healthy, as Fred and Pascal sort of elevated back into that spotlight of a role. And I think this year, maybe that was OG saying, you know what? It's my time and I can still be that guy. And he's continued to prove it. I, I hope knock on wood that the injuries dealing with right now is just more of like a little, you know, a minor thing and not anything that's going to extend beyond a couple of games at best. I don't know his status for the next game, but I don't anticipate based on what I've heard that this is a, a, a lingering long-term thing. I guess just to, before I, I let you go, I just wanted to ask you, what do you think for the Raptors would be a successful season? Is it making the second round? Is it 
uh, going to the third round? Is it just making the playoffs? What is what is success for you in the season? I, I, I mean, I would say playoffs minimum, but I did say earlier, so I won't change my stance. I, I think second round because I don't care if they win fewer games. Like you won 48 last year, great, but you got knocked out in the first round. So what, if you win 44 this year, but you make it to the second round, that's somehow going to be like a letdown? No, you're like, I, I don't care about the win total. Heck, I don't care if they finish under 500, if they make the playoffs and make it to the second round. To me, that's where the bar is set for me. You, If you want to show improvement each year, and I guess the easy way and the sort of negative way to look at that is like, well, based on that theory, then if they, you know, next year they should be in the conference finals and the year after that they should be in the championship. I know it's not quite that easy, but I'm just saying it. I want to see improvement. And to me, improvement wouldn't just be, oh, make it to game seven and lose. It's all right, let's see if you can make it through to the second round. Um, and whether you win or lose, at least you're moving this thing forward. And I think they have the talent uh, to be that type of team. And I've said from day one as well, and I'm not unlike probably a ton of people that did not have this team as like one or two in the East, I said probably anywhere between, I, I did say anywhere between three and eight, but I think it's going to be more three and six. I didn't see them as a play-in team, mm-hmm. but if they are a play-in team, I, I said seven, eight. I did not see them being nine, 10. Now, I know right now that's where they're standing, but again, we got two thirds of the season to go. I don't see them as a team that when the dust settles is going to be nine, 10. I think at worst they're in the seven, eight, but I still believe they should be somewhere in that three, four, five, six range. Um, but as we talked about, the rest of the East, a whole bunch of teams in the East got better. And there are currently some that are playing above their heads as well, some playing below. So it's all going to start to even itself out, I think, over these next 27. Because like I say, by mid to late February, and you're getting into that stretch drive, that final third, we generally, generally have a pretty good idea. We might not know exact seedings, but we got a general idea of what it's going to look like. By then, have the Heat finally turned things around and shown some consistency? Have the Pacers fallen back down to earth, or are they going to be able to keep it up? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of questions still to be answered, including, obviously, the the Raptors and, and needing to be better, period. Um, I just before I for before I let you go, thanks so much for coming on, Eric. What kind of is there anything for the listeners to kind of keep an eye and ears out for on your podcast? Is there anything you kind of want to plug? The space is yours. Uh not not honestly, not much. I mean, the the, the broadcast kind of dictate my schedule more than anything. So um that's that's the primary thing. I appreciate you mentioning Smith and Jones. We we did transition from being a daily show through the pandemic to now starting this season just being weekly. So it's kind of going back to the old days of the hoop show and Smith and Jones pretty much is the hoop show. Cause we do exclusively talk basketball. Now that we're weekly, we don't, you know, back on again, we had the show through the pandemic for two and a half years, we were doing all sports. Um, but we have transitioned back to being just a basketball show last couple of weeks. I think we've had some awesome shows with Charles Oakley one week and Morris Peterson last week. I believe Jimmy King is going to be coming on with the former Raptor. And, and of course, Fab Fiverr from, from his days at Michigan. I think he's going to be coming on with us this week. And, um, one of the things we're doing with the show now is we're trying our best and it's not always easy because we're creatures of habit, I guess, but because we're used to doing that daily show, we're used to just talking about the X's and O's and the game to game and last night's game, tonight's game, tomorrow's game, et cetera. We're trying to do more generic conversations like this, where it's more big picture and talking about guys' careers or their thoughts on, you know, some current topics in the league and not just 
specific to a certain game because we're obviously trying to keep it more generic so that the shows aren't dated. So if you don't hear it right away on day one or two, you can still find mm-hmm. it fresh and topical and, and worthy to listen to three, four, five, six days later because we come out every Thursday. So uh, if you want to follow, I guess that's my that's my cheap plug is, is if you're not following or subscribed already, obviously on Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever, whatever your podcast platform is and uh, just subscribe to Smith and Jones. And we, we put fresh content out every Thursday. It airs live on the fan at seven o'clock and then podcast is straight from there and available on all those platforms. So download, subscribe, rate and review. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on and uh, I hope you have a great rest of the season uh, covering the Raptors. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.